the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the doubters, the believers, and everybody in between. This <clears throat> this is a special take two episode because yesterday we were trying to record during the biggest storm of thirty years, and ladies and gentlemen, it did not go well. Usually, it didn't. It didn't. No, <laughs> no. Uh, the the power the power was going in and out. It was kind of like. I don't know. Britain in the 1970s. We were having brownouts. It's not what you think that means. No, exactly. Yeah. No, it did get a bit frustrating. And and every time, I, I it was more my end than your end, wasn't it? But um, every time the power cut out, it would corrupt the file that we were recording. So we decided to bail and start again this morning. Um, it's much calmer out there, right? It is much, much calmer. It was quite... Um, I mean, I don't think... It, I wouldn't go so far as scary, but I did walk out last night down the, the street after we'd decided to give up. And um, I think they are telephone cables rather than power cables, but they were whipping around right. like rigging on a boat. And um, yeah. I was just thinking, I don't want, really want one of those to fall on me just in case it is power. Don't think it yeah. is, but yeah. No, we're all we're all good. Hopefully, everybody else who uh, weathered the storm is safe as well. Um, before we get into the episode today, Ben, I just wanted to uh, something that sparked my interest that relates to an episode we did a few back. We did this episode on coincidences and jots, which we are completely obsessed with on this podcast, as regular listeners will know. And we featured this story from the 1920s of an American woman who'd gone to Paris on holiday and gone to a bookshop and bought a book that she remembered that she loved as a child, only to find out it was the exact copy that she had as a child and she'd written something in the inside of the sleeve and stuff. And we, we discussed the probability and the coincidence of that. There was a story in the newspapers last week, in The Sun, in fact... Uh, which was very similar and involved a woman called Lulu Bailey. Now, Lulu is 54. Uh, she'd been living overseas and eight years ago decided to move back to Jersey, where she was originally from and grew up as a child. And she was just leafing through uh, records in a charity shop and she came across a Boney M album called Take the Heat Off Me. And when she picked up the album, she was stunned to see written in pen on the front cover. It said, Lulu Bailey was here, H-E-A-R, see what she did there, (laughs) on the 17th of May, 1980, time a quarter to seven. So 40 years after, she'd come across the very same copy of the first record she ever bought when she was 13 years old with her handwriting on the front. That's pretty cool. I guess we we looked at the odds of that. The odds are probably lower than you think they are. But still, I, I still find those stories amazing. The great thing is, she says, I don't even own a record player, but I just had to buy the record back. Which you would, wouldn't you? You'd have to purchase it back. You would have to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I What was the first record you bought? Me? Yeah. Uh, God, I'm trying to think. I'm not really sure. I think it would probably be... Oh, no, I do remember. I do remember. It's not going to be as cool as yours. It was Deep Heat 90. Ooh, okay, yeah. Are you familiar with that? Is that a compilation? It is a compilation, but it's a fairly legendary compilation. It was like um, as rave music was influencing commercial music, 
this was the first sort of um, compilation which had a bit of underground and a bit of commercial stuff. So yeah, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it had it had weird stuff like business and KLF and uh, that's that sort of. Um, uh, that sort of vibe to it. I was, I was actually trying to find another copy of it, but they're very rare. Uh, right, I, I bet they're worth a bit now. That's not a bad start. That's a good one. Well, yeah. I mean, I was, I was what? I think I was. I thought, 14. I thought you were going to say like Duran Duran Union of the Snake or something, but no, that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did make up for it after that by um, the second record I bought was The White Room. So I think that nice. probably that that's a bit cooler. Yeah, I, I think the first record I ever bought was a single, and I think it was Tubeway Army, Our Friends Electric, which, again, is not a bad one. Ah, it's not bad. Yeah, although I think the second one I bought might have been Kim Wilde, Kids in America, but I would never admit to that in public. Oh, oh God, I just that's, had. That's actually a great track, though. Yeah, I, I, From my memory, I've I'm, I'm probably still got it here somewhere, Um I seem to remember it had a B-side, which I quite liked. I do miss a B-side on a record. They don't really do B-sides anymore, but there you go. Well, I think there's probably... Uh, it'll be commercial reasons, won't it? Yeah, It's sort definitely. of like... It's a waste of money on production if no one wants it. Sadly, in the world that we um, we live in. But always on the B-side of, like, dance tracks, you you would tend to get like a club remix or something which was always yeah. good i enjoyed that yeah yeah i was just gonna say i have to tell you i know somebody's first record was bat dance and i don't think i can ever forgive them for that <laughs> no no that's that's not acceptable <laughs> it's not really <laughs> in fact i'm gonna unfriend them right now <laughs> yeah if you, if you go through your prince record collection and your your only purchase was bat dance. That is not good. <laughs> I am a big fan of Prince. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I've 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 went straight out and bought bat dance. <laughs> yeah. I've got bat dance and thieves in the temple. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, let's get on to the episode. So I, I okay. put something together this week. Slightly sparked by an episode we did uh, last year uh, on Japanese yokai. Uh, and we covered a mystical creature known as a kappa, which is a Japanese demon or imp that's found in freshwater rivers. You probably remember it. It's the one that has this weird thing where it's got a, it's got like a little bowl on top of its head that contains fresh water that has to remain filled, otherwise it will perish. Yes, um, I remember yeah. this one, yes. And it, that got me thinking because I I kind of come across that episode again the other week, and I thought, well, there are lots of tales about sea monsters, and we've done mermaids and stuff like that, but you don't hear as much about their freshwater cryptid cousins, right? So I thought let's no. take a deeper dive into those. I see what you did there. So I guess the most famous of all the freshwater cryptids is the Loch Ness monster. But we we say this quite a lot. We don't really cover those massive stories very often because they're kind of done to death. Um, and there's there's lots of podcasts and places where you can find out. So I'm not going to talk about Nessie in this episode. Instead, I'm going to focus on other freshwater monsters. Uh, we're going to, first of all, go across the pond for us. And I wanted to talk about the Oklahoma octopus. 
Never heard of him. Yeah, or you're going to like this one. So regular listeners will know that Ben and I, we are a bit obsessed with cephalopods, right? It's fair to say. We have covered them a fair bit on the podcast. And considering we're a paranormal podcast, that is quite a weird topic for us to spend. We probably spend more time (laughs) talking about them than we do the paranormal, to be honest. We've spoken about them so much that the other night you admitted to me that you've stopped eating octopus. Yeah, yeah, can't do it anymore because they're just so smart. And you told me a few stories about how smart they are for your friend who's, uh, who's I think he's a marine biologist or, or of that ilk. Yes. Um, um, we've even covered the story. I mean, the closest we've got to a paranormal story about octopuses is the fact that a number of scientists suggest that it's possible that cephalopods could have come from outer space, which I still think about that story a lot. It blows my mind, that story. Mm, yeah, me too. So could there be a giant cryptid octopus on the loose in Oklahoma? It sounds weird, but go with me on this, Ben. I'm, I'm going with you. Good, good. Um, Native American legends have talked about a strange giant octopus-type creature that has a taste for human flesh. The beast is said to be the size of a horse with reddish skin and tentacles, and reports state that the cryptid drags swimmers down into the dark waters with its strong arms. An octopus size of a horse, that just got me interested straight away, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, suddenly it adds a whole new dimension to possible uses of octopus. Yeah, exactly. Just think of the octopus salad you could get out of that puppy. Well, I was um, thinking of like taking it for a ride. Strap yeah. that fella up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, this creature, uh, or the creatures, because there are multiple apparently, are rumoured to occupy two lakes in Oklahoma, one called Lake Thunderbird and one called Lake Ten Killer. I just love American names for lakes. We've got wind in yeah. here. We've got... That was a pretty boring in comparison. I want to go to a lake called Lake Thunderbird or Lake Ten Killer. How, do you, how are you spelling Ten Killer? Like Ten Killer? Literally Ten Killer. Wow. I wonder how that got its name. Yeah. That's definitely worth a bit, a bit of a dig further. Um, so this story, uh, this story about this, uh, the legend of this giant octopus is... There are multiple sources for it, but... I found a good article in Scientific America, which is becoming a bit of a go-to source for us. I love that website and the stuff that they put out. There's some really interesting stuff with a scientific twist, which is great, right? Very good. I, I mean, it, 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 you just it, you just sort of the stories from there are so much better written. Yeah, yeah, they're brilliant. And, and actually, I'll probably quote a lot verbatim. Oh, I've done a bit of tweaking, and there are other sources, but I love their article the best. So they say, how could a sea creature have found its way to lakes in the heartland of America? This unlikely animal, people have explained, might be a rare living fossil left over from the time, tens of millions of years ago, when that part of the US was indeed a shallow sea and perfect octopus habitat. Over the millennia, it is suggested, this particular line of octopuses have adapted to fresh water. The octopus is a marvel of adaptation, thanks in large part to its short generation time, just months to a year, and its thousands upon thousands of offspring. I mean, we could go on for probably a whole episode about how unique and incredible an octopus is, but we'll just stick with those two facts for now. 
In its hundreds of million years on the planet, the octopus has managed to populate just about every corner, crevice and water column of the sea, from the warm shallows of the tropics to the deep frigid waters off the coast of Antarctica. It can even occasionally walk on land for short periods of time, as we know on this podcast, Ben, with that story of your friend who bumped into one in walking up a stairs with a fish in its mouth, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. In its hand, actually. Oh, in its hand, it was carrying well, it. Well, in yeah. its tent, yes, yes. Yeah, fair enough. So, could octopuses conceivably adapt to fresh water as well? Bolstering the case for the Oklahoma octopus, some species of the animals are found in the brackish mouths of large rivers. Uh, and I'm not sure, is brackish, is that, I guess that's saying that's the bit where river meets the sea. So there's a bit of salt water, there's a bit of fresh water, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember from when I used to keep tropical fish, you do get brackish water fish and they're a bugger to look after because quite often, I mean, this is a side thing, quite often they like peaty water or acidic water or whatever. They're very specialist animals that live in those areas. So it's not pure... So Okay, so they live on that bit which is somewhere between the sea and the fresh water but i think it's a very different scenario to have them living in a pure freshwater environment and octopuses are yeah. not supposed to be able to do that that's right so ben this is probably the point where you're going to ask me what great witness encounters and stories have you got of this giant freshwater cephalopod i imagine he's been seen by many I have to confess, I struggled to find a credible sighting or, or oh, an really? encounter. Yeah. Is it is so, it things where people are like, oh, I saw an arm or I saw a head or... You know what? I didn't even get that far. <laughs> ah. So I think this is mostly legend and folklore. And uh, to my research, I think it's been driven by two things. This Native American legend about the horse-sized octopus that lives in fresh water, and the fact that Oklahoma lakes have a higher-than-normal mortality rate and a large number of unexplained drownings. So I think those two things are fused together. But, you know, I mean, we talk about motivations and where stories go all the time. It is a leap to go, oh, there was this Native American legend... And lots of people unexplainably drown in the lakes of Oklahoma. It's got to be a horse-sized octopus, right? That <laughs> lives in fresh water. <laughs> That's immediately where your brain jumps to, right? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it is. It is. Um, there's a part of me now <clears throat> thinking, "Gosh, I now want to see an octopus-sized horse," but. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that'd be a sea uh, No, I, 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 it to me when you put it like that, it just sounds like, um, you know, one of those legends to keep your kids away from the river or something. Yeah, yeah. The theory does have some other holes in it as well. <laughs> Firstly, <laughs> you'll be surprised to hear. Despite it never being seen, there are definitely more holes in yeah. the story. Right, okay. yeah. As, apart from it never being seen or no recorded attacks, there are other holes. <laughs> it stands up above from that. <laughs> now... The the biggest one is octopuses, or well, all cephalopods, as far as I'm aware, can't live in fresh water. Um, 
it would mean a complete change to their physiology, which I think is unlikely. Secondly, this the theories that are put out that somehow this creature has been living in these lakes for millions of years or it's just a species that's adapted to fresh water in Oklahoma doesn't really bear uh, uh, analysis because most of the lakes, well, all of the lakes in question, especially the two we're talking about, were constructed in the mid-20th century. So they're man-made engineering projects that were made by damming local rivers. Mm-hmm. So if this was some ancient horse-sized species that we've somehow missed over the years, it would have adapted to fresh water and at some point made its way up the Mississippi and subsequent smaller rivers, swimming upstream and navigating numerous dams. Yeah, so it would have had to swim upstream. Uh, So very unlikely that it already existed there uh, and it would have had a hell of a journey to get there in the first place. However... There was one incident of an octopus being found in freshwater, not actually in Oklahoma, but close by in its eastern eastern neighbour of Arkansas. So this is the story of John Mazurik, who was fishing on the 1st of December 2001 at a dam at Lake Conway. Mazurik spotted something strange clinging to one of the gates of the dams, so went to investigate... He grabbed the creature, which turned out to be a large octopus. So, just to be clear, this is not an octopus which is the size of a horse. From the photo, which I think you've got there, Ben, it looks more like the size of a small dog. So we will put the picture that Ben and I are just staring at in our photo album. So if you go to our Facebook page at TQM Podcast, you'll be able to see the, uh, the pictures that go along with the episode. It's a bit grainy, but you can see the creature and the guy's holding it, right? About the size of a small dog, you'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that just looks like standard octopus size. Yeah. Arkansas Fish and Gaming officials confirmed the catch and said they had no idea how the octopus could have found its way into a freshwater reservoir or even survived in those conditions. They could only conclude it was someone's pet that had been dumped into the lake. Though marine biologists point out it couldn't have been there for long as the creature would not have been able to survive for any long period in fresh water. Mm. So that is a bit of a mystery that this guy found this octopus. You know, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy who thought, I'll take an octopus with me while I go fishing so I can do this photo. You know, he literally found it there. So how it got there is a bit of a mystery. I didn't think people would keep an octopus that big as a pet either. I guess people keep strange stuff, don't they? I mean, I suppose... Oh, yeah, I mean, we now know people keep tigers and stuff. But yeah. I, the, the the pet thing... I, th- I think that theory has, has another hole in it, in that if you've kept it, you know what sort of water it needs. And yeah. I don't think you would put it back into the wild in the wrong sort of water. No, no. Because why would you? It doesn't make sense. It's just cruel. No, I don't think you would. Yeah. So we've got this story. We've basically got Native American legend of this horse-sized octopus. We've got the unexplained drownings. And we've got the fact that in a nearby state, there was an octopus found in fresh water. 
obviously we've got no credible sightings of this giant freshwater octopus. And we've got the fact that unless it had somehow done some marvellous adaptation, it wouldn't be out of surviving freshwater. Mm. Yeah. So folklore and legend, I think, probably more than anything more than that in my mind. I think so. I mean, I I was racking my brains to see if I'd ever heard of an octopus or anything similar in freshwater, and I really haven't. No. So. No. I mean, I mean I'd the, love to see. Yeah, I would as well. Now, I suppose the only the only explanation that I can think of as to how somebody might think that they'd seen a large octopus would be, and this is a bit of a stretch, but what if there were giant catfish living there? And yeah. you know the the whiskers on the catfish yeah. some of those are huge they might look a bit tentacly yeah they? yeah and you sort of brush past them and for a moment it looks like octopus and then you say to everybody oh and i saw it and because the body of the catfish can be huge i mean they can i don't yeah. know about the size of a horse but they can look huge so maybe it's something derived from something like that yeah well we, we uh i'd love to see it but i'm not sure i ever will Let's move from Oklahoma. <laughs> because it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could be the case. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move from Oklahoma to Texas Hill County and the goat man of the lake, also known as the Island Monster. <laughs> now, this thing is apparently seven foot tall. <laughs> it's said it can hurl car tyres like they were mere child's play toys. It's been seen swinging from the t- treetops by the uh, the lake, in the middle of the lake that it lives. It's landed on the hoods of passing cars, which has all led, it, led to it being called the legend of the Lake Worth monster. Now, Lake Worth is just west of Dallas, just east of Forth Worth. And in the middle of this large lake is a landmass known as Greer Island, where this monster was alleged to have roamed. It's become known as Fort Worth's answer to Bigfoot. Although stories and sightings of the creature have been common for, for a few years, attracting many young thrill-seekers and sceptics, the first photograph didn't surface until 1969. We'll also stick a photo of this in our Facebook album, at TQM Podcast. I mean, I'm looking at it now. It's one of those grainy, blurred shots. To me, it looks like there's some foliage at the bottom and... The beast itself, I don't know. I don't know how you describe it, Ben, but to me it looks like a large bit of cotton candy um, with an arm. Yeah, it hasn't got well-defined no. edges. To me, that looks like um, flames yeah. and smoke um, coming from a fire. We do. I, th- I, You know what? I think we should set up a sideline business, Ben, to the quantum mechanics where we can teach paranormal and ufo hunters how to take a decent photograph what do you think (laughs) (laughs) well you have to focus it focus on the thing the the para focus on the cryptid that you're photographing (laughs) yeah well see there's quite so i think quite often these things come out of nowhere and then disappear and like i know how long and this might just be me, but you know when you go to those car parks where you have to put your rage plate in and I can never yeah. remember it. So I take a photograph of my rage plate 
And I'm like faffing around for 10 seconds to remember how to activate the camera, point it, take it. If this thing just flashed by, I totally get why it was a hurried image. Um, and then you do get good ones like um, the Patterson-Gimlin film with the famous yeah. Bigfoot. But then, but then it's so good, people are like, well, it's yeah. obviously fake. But this one, it doesn't even... It doesn't even look like a creature. Like, if that was a man in a suit, he'd be very obese, have the arm in the wrong place. But then if that was a creature, it doesn't... It's going to have... It's got very yeah, odd really fur. Yeah, really odd fur. So, I, I don't... I mean, it does not look anything like a goat man. There is no goat yeah. or man in that image. Well, there was a book written about this. Uh, Sally Ann Clark wrote a book called The Lake Worth Monster of Greer Island... And she claims the monster had jumped on the hood of a man's car. The man reported that he and two other men were out on the island looking for the creature. When the creature landed on the hood of their car, the man said he swerved his car wildly about the road, but the monster didn't let go until the man crashed into a nearby tree. The witness, someone called Jim Stevens, reported that he himself was six foot four and the creature was easily much taller than him. Stevens claimed the monster was at least seven feet, maybe taller. Other eyewitnesses also claim the monster is half goat, half man, and covered in both fur and scales. <clears throat> Some describe the cryptid as having a short human-like body with a head like that of a dog or a goat with a single horn in the middle of its head. Others claimed it was between six foot nine inches and seven feet tall, 250 to 300 pounds, Long-necked, flop-eared, slope-shouldered, pot-bellied, covered in white hair or scaly. <laughs> Which did sound like me and you leaving the pub the other night. I think we could have been <laughs> described as all those things. If there we? is a, a goat man of tame, then it's probably likely as... <laughs> The Goat Men of Tame. Maybe that. Maybe we should change our podcast name to the Goat Men. Actually, of Tame. that would be cool. That is a good name for a, a Morris dancing outfit. Yeah, it really is. Um, reports circulated that shit of sheep being ripped to pieces, of cattle and dogs being killed, and other mutilations, and of a car being attacked. One group of witnesses claimed the monster became agitated upon seeing them and threw an automobile tyre and wheel 500 feet in an attempt to scare them off. Let's come back to that photo that we were talking about earlier, because that photo was taken by a man called Alan Plaster. And years afterwards, he had second thoughts about what he'd photographed that day. According to Plaster... He thinks that what he witnessed was a hoax and that he was most likely the victim of someone playing a prank. Okay. So so he's kind of disowning that photograph to some degree. He felt that he'd been conned in some way. And there does seem to be some supporting evidence that this whole thing could be a prank. And it comes from a guy called Rick Pratt. Now, Rick Pratt was formerly the director of Greer Island Nature Centre at the time of the sightings. This is in the 60s. He says, a couple of local teenagers were putting anti-war signs on the centre that he ran, uh, and I caught them at it. 
One of them, a student at a local high school, was interested in science and hung around the nature centre, which was half a mile from the trailer park where he lived. Pratt described him as being five foot nine inches tall, with long black hair and a fondness for dressing in black. Early goth, by the sounds of it. (laughs) Uh, Pratt goes on. He was a nice fellow, kind of an early hippie. He wanted to be a nuclear physicist. (laughs) Which I I love throwing that bit. That that is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird combination. Peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love, bang. Um, (laughs) The boy confessed to Pratt that one evening he and his brother put on a little show for people parked in the gravel pit on Greer Island. The area was home to a former junkyard and had also been a gravel pit at one time, Pratt explains. There was a cliff about 30 feet high around the gravel pit at the base of the hill. The Lakeworth monster and his accomplice, which I imagine this guy uh, Pratt is saying was this hippie and his friend, jumped around at the top of the hill waving their arms, then rolled a tyre and wheel from the junkyard down the incline. It flew off the cliff and landed near where the cars were parked. Uh, He said this really got the press excited about it and all the descriptions of the monster that came after were taken from people who had not seen it. He said a reporter interviewed him and he told him this story that he thought it was these two kids, but the newspapers uh, elected not to use that in their report. I... Mm. We've come across this before, right? He's, uh, these stories are great. You don't want a sceptic coming in and ruining the whole thing for everyone. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. He says, The newspaper report on the proposed t- tyre hurling by a superhuman was something that sparked bedlam. He recalls, There was not a lot going on in Lake Worth at the time. The notoriety gave people an excuse to come out and misbehave. A couple of nights there were big crowds and traffic jams and a lot of drinking. People drove around the lake roads, started fires and parted, and just had a high old time. This went on for about two weeks, and then it died out. So, I guess we have got some sightings here. Not all of them were... You know, this this creature had been seen before the incident at the gravel pit where the tyre was thrown. Now, it could have been the same two guys pranking and... I guess the implication is they made some kind of suit and dressed up and would walk around the island and set this whole thing off. There's a bit of evidence in there about um, the length of which the tyre was flung because um, it sounds like that would be impossible for a human unless, of course, unless it was not flung but rolled and it launched itself off a ramp. This is what this guy is saying, these these two kids confessed. Rather than throw it, they just rolled it down a hill. It was about 500 feet by the time it rolled down and came to these people. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. The sceptics would go with that. It was a couple of hippies just causing a bit of mayhem because there was nothing else to do. Um, I guess the sceptics would kind of, I guess it's similar to the Bigfoot type thing. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? They're covering up that there is this creature that's roaming around on this island. But uh, I don't think it's very easy to get a suit either. Like, No. That's, no. That is a, that's a thing that I would struggle with because if they're kids messing about, a suit of any sort of convincing nature 
was would cost a bit. Yeah. And yeah. you can't like if we went our nearest town is Oxford or High Wycombe, there's nowhere that I can think of that you could walk into and go, Can I get a full body suit to look like a cryptid? There just isn't. There's no fancy dress shop. You get a you get a you know, you, what you would do is you'd buy a, a mask and maybe some wig, yeah. and then you'd have to improvise the rest. Have you not been to the cryptid costume shop off the A40? Oh, the CCS? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favourites. <laughs> oh, I'll try it. I'll try it. Yeah. Well, I wonder if the cryptid uh, costume shop, if they don't sell this one, they should look into it. Let's talk about the Harrington Lake eel pig. <laughs> the the eel pig. The eel pig. I love this story. That sounds like a really terribly thought up insult. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> you terrible eel pig. You you Harrington Lake eel pig. You. <laughs> um, so back in 1925, Kentucky Utilities set out to build a dam by flooding the Dix River, a tributary of the Kentucky River. The resulting dam would be known as the Dix Dam see what they did there i do um and they they created this large lake that would be forever known as lake harrington at the time the dam was regarded as a major engineering accomplishment it was the largest earthfield dam at the time upon completion of the dam lake harrington took on a maximum depth of 249 feet making it the deepest lake in kentucky and it covered 2335 acres so that's Four miles, basically, of lake. Massive, Mm -hmm. basically. Lake Harrington is known as an excellent spot for fishing. The lake contains high numbers of different species of fish, including one that you mentioned earlier, catfish. There are hybrid-stripped bass, which sounds like something from a sci-fi film, but I'm sure regular fishers will know what that is. Crapey and bluegill. I'm not a big fisher, but they sound like big scary fish to me mm. but there is said to be one aquatic creature in the lake many fishermen hope they will never encounter face to face a creature known as the eel pig almost immediately after the creation of the lake this is in the 1920s people from the surrounding area uh, claimed to see the eel pig swimming within the creature is most often described as being roughly 15 foot long with the body of an eel, skin tone reminiscent of a speckled fish. 15 foot, that's big, right? That is What's long, that? yeah. I mean... Kind of two or three, three metres? I'm not really good yeah. at my conversions. Um, yeah, probably like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's sort of longer than an average car. It's said to be as fast as a boat at times. I guess it depends which boat you've got. I was just uh, going to say. <laughs> if it's me rowing, it goes very slowly. If it's a jet <laughs> ski, it's really quick. Yeah. <laughs> it possesses a stubby pig-like snout and somewhat curly tail, which are both seen poking out above the water, it says here, when the creature is in the area. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's got a detachable um, <laughs> snout and tail, but <laughs> you know, we, we talk about coming... words that are not necessary. Uh, yeah, we, I was going to say we necessary. keep landing on the words that are not necessary. It's <laughs> yeah. got a curly tail, which is seen poking out of the water when the creature is in the area. <laughs> and sometimes when it isn't. <laughs> yeah. 
While many people have claimed to see the eel pig since the 1920s, the creature's existence wasn't thought of as a possibility until a sighting was made in 1972 by a University of Kentucky professor. So we like this, right? Credible witness. This guy was called Lawrence S. Thompson. He owned a lake home on Harrington, and he stated that he had seen the eel pig swimming around the area on multiple occasions, and that after his many sightings, the species of creature remains unknown. Upon hearing the news that a university professor had witnessed the monster in the lake, the newspaper, the Louisville Courier, made quick work of setting up an interview with the professor. Of asking the professor if he truly believed that what he had seen was a real monster, Thompson responded by saying, It's only in a monster in the sense that one would call an alligator a monster if you'd never seen one before. Mm, mm. Fair point. Mm. While sightings of the eel pig are said to continue, there have been no sightings as prominent as Professor Thompson's in 1972. So this means that for nearly 100 years, nobody has figured out what this monster is or was. There are, however, many theories as to what the eel pig could be. So we've got a range of possibilities here, from the extreme cryptid to the kind of more sceptical point of view. Some claim that during the flooding of the Dix River, Kentucky Utilities inadvertently opened up passages to a series of underground limestone caves in which this species of eel pig already existed. So it's a bit like the octopus story. Some people have claimed that somehow they've kind of, I get, I guess, a bit journey to the centre of the earth. They've come across a cave where these things have been living and they've been disturbed by the building of the dam and various bits going on. Mm-hmm. Others think that the monster is actually a prehistoric relic that originally lived in the Mississippi River but made its way down the Kentucky River while following a food source. The monster then became trapped in Lake Harrington after the dam was built. More grounded theories include possible misidentified alligator gar or other fish species. There's a theory it could have been a real pig that was seen swimming in the lake and misidentified <laughs> as a monster. <laughs> but I, well, which we is know which is a bit Simpsons swim. movie for me. <laughs> it is, but I mean, pigs do like to swim, but well, they are well. They don't fly. I know that much. No, and they're also not 15 feet long, but. Maybe it was two pigs. Yeah, yeah. A procession of pigs. Uh, Similar theories about it could have been a prank uh, or an out-of-place alligator as well. Now, while the eel pig may seem like nothing but a local legend or funny story, others feel it's a legitimate living creature and has not been identified yet. So we have got some good witness sightings of the pig. I think the professor adds some credibility to it because, A, he lives on the lake, so it's not like... We often say this, don't we? If you're kind of visiting somewhere or even a haunting or you're a tourist, because you we had it when we spent the night in the pub looking Mm. for the ghost. We had all these noises going on. We were going, are these just noises the pub make or is it something Mm. paranormal? Yeah, yeah. He lived there. He's used to seeing the river. Uh, the lake and what's in it and yeah he claims he saw it on multiple occasions Mm. i think that's quite an interesting one it is and that is also similar to you know there have been very high profile um sightings of nessie but don't forget some of the most high profile 
ones were proven to be fake. The surgeon's picture. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. called the surgeon's picture to imply credibility because it was taken by a surgeon. But then years later, he comes out and says, no, it was a fake. So like, I'm yeah. not I'm not saying this guy's a liar. I'm just saying it's, it isn't impossible that he's yeah, embellishing. It's, it's not a slam dunk because a professor has said he's seen one. No. Uh, and also, yeah. we just need to work out whether he's invested in a cryptid store on the shores of the lake selling (laughs) plush eel pig toys yeah professor stevens eel pig (laughs) t-shirts.com yes that's what i meant yeah cryptid merch for everyone um well you mentioned nessie there um and i said i wasn't going to talk about Nessie in this episode. However, I do want to talk about Nessie's cousin, who's called Morag. Oh, don't know if don't you've know heard of Morag. Morag. No, no, I haven't, no. So this is a piece from uh, a Scottish newspaper called Scotland's Daily Record. Uh, and it's uh, there's some great stuff on here. So one of Scotland's most beautiful locks nestled in the Highlands is surrounded by stunning scenery and is home to an elusive monster. Not Loch Ness, but Loch Mora. The loch is thought to be the deepest freshwater lake in the UK. But this stretch of water has its own mystery that dates back almost as far as Nessie. It's said to be the home to a humpback beast. The residents here have their own name for the monster, Morag. This cousin of Nessie has captured the imagination of locals for centuries, but the beast rarely surfaces. Lying just north of Glenfinnan, close to Malag, and the the village that bears its name, the freshwater lock reaches depths of over a thousand feet. One of the largest locks in Scotland, it's just under 12 miles long. I mean, that's huge. That is huge. uh, Fresh water, that's amazing. People living around and working on this ancient waterway have made sightings of a fantastical creature dating back to the 19th century. So these sightings of Morag date all the way back to the 1880s, with more modern ones being recorded from the 60s onwards. Two of the most recent sightings have revived interest in the mysterious beast, with the Loch superintendent, Viv de Fresnes, who spends thousands of hours on the loch spotting and photographing two large unknown shapes across the surface in the summer of 2019. Another one will put photos of this. It's a bit like the Nessie pictures. You know, you look at them and go, it could be a log. (laughs) It could be a branch. It could be anything. It's not. Tourists... Doug Christie and his wife Charlotte claim they spotted a 20-foot black shape in the water three times in the two days over the summer of 2013. And at least one of these sightings was backed up by Kiss Mule B&B owner Michael McNeil and his daughter Kathleen, who managed to snap a picture. So, again, it's not very clear. We'll put these in the album, have a look, but I don't think you're going to be going, oh, my God, (laughs) that is a 20-foot prehistoric looking creature no (laughs) yeah yeah doug and charlotte describe what they saw as a large black shape that rose to the surface before disappearing charlotte stated that first she thought it was a whale but knew that was impossible as the lock is fresh water 
Others who've seen the beast describe it as a classic three humps rising above the water, similar to Nessie. Perhaps the most dramatic sighting was that of a local man, Willie Simpson, and a crofter called Duncan MacDonald in August of 1969. The pair were returning from a fishing trip to Loch Mora when the creature struck their boat, nearly capsizing them and giving them a fright. Duncan managed to strike it with the oar of the boat, which snapped in two, while Willie grabbed a rifle and attempted to shoot the beast. But the creature just sank out of sight before he could hit it. Willie later said, There is no doubt in my mind that there is a large monster, maybe more than one, in Loch Mora. So I, that's quite an interesting encounter because, you know, there are a couple of local fishermen who've had this incident. You know, they're not tourists again. And, yeah, they've had a proper scary encounter. I mean, it could be a kind of whiskey fueled tale for the pub to tell tourists to get another uh, another wee dram out of them. I'll tell you the whole story if you get me a large one. But, you know, Interesting. It is interesting, but those those shapes on the water, underwater, capsizing the boat. Yeah, I can sort of see it, but I can also see how lots of other things can be like that. Like I've been to Loch Ness a few times, and you know I've obviously wanted to see something, yeah, never so. have. But your eyes play tricks on you. Shadows on the water. The when waves you, as well. I remember I went there as the a waves, kid and we yeah. stayed on the lock. And you look out, go, oh my God, that's got to be it. That's got to be Nessie. And it's just like a few little waves that are on the surface. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I think it, it, it's one of those where it's sort of, it's sort of credible, but at the same time, it's very, very easy to dismiss. But I, I like that close encounter element. And I also like the fact that perhaps... You know, Morag and Nessie are the same thing. That would be cool. Or the same creature, the same yeah, genre of well, creature. I was going to move on to that because I think a lot of that superstition and a lot of this comes from uh, Celtic mythology. I think it could play a large part in Morag's story and in Nessie's story as well. So the folklore of the Highlands, um, you know, things like Kelpies and yeah. Winter Horses... You know, they're both said to drag unwary travellers to their deaths. You know, yeah. they're these incredible mythical creatures. Um, so, yeah, you can see where it comes from. And records from that time state that the creature was thought to be supernatural. These creatures like Kelpies, horses, and connected into these more bigger beasts. Any, This is a bit like, um, there's a bit of a, a Banshee's elements of this as well because if you're supposed to see any of these supernatural creatures in the water it it means that you might will receive a death in your family which sounds yeah. very much like a banshee as well yeah it does yeah there are obviously many theories we've kind of touched upon them uh they could be down the article said it could be down to cat paws which i'd not heard of but that are swirling waves that are caused by the wind i'd not heard them called cat paws before oh no i didn't kind know of, they were called that it's kind of what we were talking about kind of you know your eyes playing tricks when you kind of visualize that swimming seals deers paddling out of the locks islands for grazing or even a wayward atlantic surgeon of all kind of more skeptic theories of what this thing could be yeah there is a, yeah. also a theory that 
uh, they could be eels that have become trapped in the lock and grown to an enormous size, resulting in the sighting. Which freshwater eels, possibility that they could have, you know, if they've got a great food source. Uh, again, I'm not a marine biologist, but uh, you can get quite incredibly large eels, right? Yeah, and yeah. It would you create can. that humpy effect, wouldn't it, as they came out of the water? Yes, yes. Now, I didn't want uh, didn't want to be outdone and not cover any English freshwater cryptids because I think they deserve a mention. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through these quickly rather than kind of stories. I guess they're a bit more folklory. Uh, they include one that I think we've talked about before, Ben, Jenny Greenteeth. Yeah, I like that one. So yeah. Jenny is a hag that lives in a ponds and rivers in England. She is also known as Nellie Longarms and Peg Powler, <laughs> which I didn't know. Nellie Longarms, that's a <laughs> Peg Powler, yeah. Uh, Jenny is native to Lancashire, but has been spotted in Yorkshire and as far south as Birmingham. <laughs> so it gets around. Yeah, so when uh, when you see that green, I think they call it duckweed, don't they, on top of ponds? Those, yes. Those kind of weeds that you get on top of ponds. The legend goes that that may be duckweed, but it may actually be the hair of Jenny and that she waits with her head kind of just under the water. She's looking on the lookout for children. She'll jump out of the water and drag, drag children into the river and eat them. This is... A story that I know my mother was told, um, and then that was relayed to me, but um, in these more sensitive times, even in the 70s, it was like, yeah, but it's not it's not real, but basically it's stay away from those, because those water, uh, those pieces of water with the duckweed um, or green weed on top are incredibly dangerous, because you don't know how deep they are, yeah. and you can get stuck in the... Um, the foliage below, and and you, the, you can drown. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I remember having to um, rescue one of our old dogs from that because he'd walked out on it thinking it was grass and fell in. And oh. it's very difficult for the dog to swim. We had to, like, you know, wade in and pull him out. And, um, yeah, nothing to do with Jenny, Jenny Greenteeth. But also, when everybody, anybody says Jenny Greenteeth, you think, oh how do they know what her teeth look like and why name someone after the colour of their teeth? Yeah, yeah. I feel I, almost sorry for her. You, yeah, because you think with the way the legend goes, it'd be Jenny Greenhair, but it doesn't really sound as scary, does it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, she just, you know, back in the 90s, she just had this thing about using this yeah. spray and hair dye. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. were her teeth like? Fine, as far as I can remember. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was her post-punk era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it is a it is a weird one. But <laughs> do you think now she's like an accountant somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Well, she's had to save up for all that dentistry, and yeah. Um, yeah, she doesn't smile very often. She got into the habit of not. Well, let's have another one. Um, there's also the Grindelow, which Harry Potter fans may be familiar with. This does come from an old legend. Uh, They too like to eat children and are pale green humanoid creatures with long thin arms and small horns. They're said to live in Yorkshire and Lancashire. Lancashire is a hotbed of kind of freshwater cryptids from my research. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, many people will know those. I haven't got much on that. We've also got one which I quite like the name of. If we move south uh, to the southern half of England, we have the Nucker. 
Have you heard of the Nucker? No, what's that? Well, they live in deep water pools in Sussex, known as Nucker Holes. Okay. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> now, these, the, these are slightly more scary and uh, I guess a bit lazy as well. They don't bother with the drowning bit. They just go straight to eating you. They just jump out and eat you. They're not, they're not going to be bothered to take you down. They, they just go, right, I'm just going to go straight and take a bite out of you. <laughs> they're just hungry. Yeah. Although legend says they only eat fair maidens, so I think you and I are safe, Ben. Oh, well, let's go hunting them then. Yeah. Well, the most famous knucker was the Lyminster knucker, who was apparently killed by a farmhand called Jim Polk, who fed him a poison pie. That doesn't what a child pie or a maiden pie. Maybe he told him it was a maiden pie because that seems to destroy the legend. They only eat maidens. How did you lure him in with a pie? Right, so they eat maidens and pies. Doesn't say what poison he used either. Mm. Mm. There's some holes emerging. Was there a body? But his, his chip shop pie business really suffered after that. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Polk's pies. No. <laughs> and that's how they got their name. I caught it and it was pucker. And that's how it happened. Wait, but wait, was there a body? Uh, I, I think it's it's pure legend, that one. Uh, that, I don't think of... I think this was, this was in the oldie times when poison pies were a thing. <laughs> yeah, I but, miss those days. <laughs> yeah, I miss those days. <laughs> My favourite of the English freshwater cryptids has to be the Azrae. I think this is how you spell it. A-S-R-A-I, Azrae? Yeah, that's how I'd say it, yeah. Yeah. So these are tiny water fairies found in Cheshire and Shropshire. Oh, they sound adorable. Well, they're said to be shy and timid, but they do have a dark side, Ben. When Uh they bathe in moonlight, they grow to human heights and lure men to their deaths with the promise of gold and jewels. Their hmm. touch, if if they touch you, it burns your skin like acid. So think think the alien kind of acid creature mm-hmm. in, the, in the movie. Um, there are some useful safety tips if you encounter one. A bit like vampires, they don't like sunlight... So if you come across one and you can keep running until the sun comes up, you'll be fine. We do like to give this kind of advice out in case people do run into (laughs) these things. This one I like. Apparently they don't like vulgarity. So if you swear at one, it will get offended and run off. Which (laughs) That is probably better than running waiting for the sunlight, really. Just, just, Just throw a wave of expletives at this kind of giant fairy and it will run off. That's some messed up morals. I want to kill you, but if you swear at me, then it's all over. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm going to eat you, but I don't like vulgarity. (laughs) I wonder if when it's chewing your arm and you swear at it, whether it's like, well, I've started now. I'll just put up with the bad language. I'll I'll, I'll put up with it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I did do a little bit of a search to find if I see if I could find something a bit closer to home for us so either Oxfordshire or Buckinghamshire I struggled a bit but I did find a brilliant story about Buckinghamshire's Buckinghamshire's answer 
to the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. Now, this is a story that caused a bit of controversy back in 2001 and was reported by the Bucks Free Press. I'm going to quote... The best source of all cryptid information. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a a cryptid uh, library of stuff. I'm going to do an abridged version of this, but I am going to quote it verbatim because it did make me laugh out loud when I read it. So the article starts. So this is back in 2001. It says, Zany Villager, Zany in capital letters. (laughs) (laughs) That's a word that only newspapers use as well. Yeah, yeah. Zany Villager, Andy Dickinson, has owned up to putting a Loch Ness monster in flooded fields near High Wycombe after the beast was brutally destroyed. It does sound zany. Yeah, it does sound zany, doesn't it? Andy, the manager of the Georgian Dragon Hotel, West Wickham, felt he had to admit to the prank after vandals struck on Wednesday night. The 33-year-old, he was at the time, said, I'm disgusted. It's a sickening act. How could anyone do this? It beggars belief. (laughs) Anonymous letters threatening to harm the animal, known by the villagers as Wessie, were sent to West Wickham's post office early last week. Andy brought the creature, made from tractor tyres and wood, to the field off Bradenham Road in the dead of night on Saturday, February the 17th. I love this quote. So this is from a local resident who's very upset about the fact that this Nessie or Wessie had been vandalised. Upset Ted Ross of Chorley Road said... The people responsible for attacking Wessie are the same sort who go around knocking down snowmen. (laughs) (laughs) They should be ashamed of themselves. It's just not cricket. (laughs) That that is the most English quote I've ever heard. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The kind of people who go knocking down snowmen. He, he put down his cup of tea and scone and said, by Jove, the same men that go around kicking down the snowmen. That is such a random, random quote. It's just not cricket, Ben. Rosalind Hilburn of Hilburn's newsagents, High Street, West Wickham, had received a letter threatening to harm the animal. She said, when I opened the door this morning, there was a letter pushed underneath it saying Wessie would be destroyed if we did not get the free press involved. But it got destroyed before we had time to reach you, i.e. the Bucks Free Press. So they'd sent a threatening letter and then basically gone, oh, I can't be bothered to wait for the press, let's just go and destroy the thing. Yeah. But Andy promises the beast is set to resurface one day. He says, the beast is now safe in hiding. People haven't seen the last of Wessie. Now, it's a good picture that we've got there. It is actually quite nicely made. Yeah, it is good. And actually, probably, you know, at night uh, or in in kind of slightly blurred lighting or slightly foggy, it would look amazing. Again, we'll put another picture of this in the photo album it's well made. It's kind of tyres and a bit of wood and stuff. But, I, I, yeah. I was going to say, it's convincing if you imagine that cryptids have cross-ply radial markings on <laughs> yeah. their backs. Yeah. But, um, and Goodyear written on their sides. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, what I couldn't work out was whether 
um, he'd put like an advert for his business on there if that's what it, the point of it was. Yeah, I, I couldn't work that out whether it, it would make sense because his, what was his pub called? It was the Something and Dragon, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think it was so, the Georgian Dragon. Yeah. Georgian Dragon, that's it. Yeah, so Georgian Dragon Hotel would make sense, wouldn't it? And probably it thought he'd get a bit of press. Oh, do you th- I, I'm not saying he did this, but do you think he might have destroyed it himself because he wasn't getting the publicity he was looking for? Oh, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? No, no, because he's now got some free advertising. Yeah. So I know a, where that my, pub is, actually. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if he's still there, still owning it. Because that was 2001, so that was 20 years ago, 33. He could still be running it, right? He was in yeah, his yeah. 30s, be in his 50s now. Um, yeah, well, maybe it's time that Wessie comes out of hiding. Free Wessie. Um, if, uh, if I get the chance, I'll go past and... Um, See if I can, uh, I'll pop in for a pint and um, check it out. Kick down a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no snow. I'll, I'll, I'll take a, um, a Mr. Freeze in with me and then yeah. like deliberately break it at the bar. And, that, yeah. and that'll, that'll go, well, that'll teach you for making that statement to the press. 21 years ago. <laughs> years ago. <laughs> So that, that's my tour of freshwater cryptids. There are other ones out there, so it may be a topic we return to. I, I mean, probably a lot of kind of mythology, bit of hoaxing, legend, with may, maybe just a little hint that there might be something there rather than conclusive proof. But it's been a nice journey around the freshwater lakes of the world. It has. And I really enjoy. Um, I think there's a there's a, the, the joy of cryptids is that sort of there's a thing that might be there. It probably isn't, but it might be. And I like them because there aren't the cryptids we have here are like you say they get subsumed into like Harry Potter books and stuff. And they you know they generally a bit like well what do they do? <laughs> well they just float around in the water really. Yeah. Whereas, like, Bigfoots um, are nuts and they do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But I did, cause, um, because of our take one last night, I knew what we were doing. And then, bizarrely, I came across um, an article. It was on Apple News. And um, I didn't realise if you've got enough money, you can pay for uh, a cat that has been crossbred with something exotic. So you can... There's people who are crossing like domestic cats right. with like links and you get like a really large fancy looking cat which looks much more lynx like but is technically not illegal and the reason for the news story was that the government is thinking about passing right. legislation to make this illegal because right. you don't need dangerous animals license or anything because there's no there's nothing you know, there's no legislation which says how much of a cat's DNA right. yep. has to be pure domestic cat because that would also be difficult to do because cats are all different sort of breeds. <clears throat> the pictures of them do look amazing. I can see why people would want them. But if you saw one of those walking up the road by itself, I mean, yeah. I think I'd be quite scared and I think I'd be reporting that I'd seen a lynx, whereas which, actually... Which, which is the difference, isn't pet. it, really, between 
dogs and cats because generally you got your dog on a lead and you get but cats are just roaming about right in a kind of screw you kind of way you would you would yeah yeah that, that would freak you out wouldn't it i had i had um a small deer charge at me the other day when i was uh, charge at you well it what well, i think it was trying to get past me i'd freaked it it was just in some shrubs but it it inadvertently was running straight what towards us. What were you us. doing in some shrubs? I, I was walking <laughs> past the shrubs, I have to confess. I wasn't actually in the shrubs. <laughs> but but I think my footsteps... I, I, I feel like I'm on trial. <laughs> You've just come back from the cryptid costume yeah. store. Your Honour, I have to confess, I wasn't actually in the shrubs. I was just walking by the shrubs with my dog when the deer charged me. Oh, you me. had the dog. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, it just ran and then kind of swerved past me and my dog and ran off. My dog was absolutely useless. It cowered and just stood there. I was like, great, okay, some kind of defence you are if I get... But it, there was that... I, I mentioned it because there was... Because it had come out of the shrubs. There was a moment where it was like... And it was, a, it was kind of at dusk. It, this thing, I was like, God, whatever's coming towards me is bloody massive. And then came out and I was like, at first you can't work out, it's something on four legs, it's kind of like a really big dog, but it's not a dog. And then it's like, okay, it's a deer. It's a it's deer, a deer. yeah. <clears throat> I find um, deer, well, it's. It, I think it's because of their size, not the little monk jacks. I think they're really cute, but the big ones, I remember this it, like vividly stuck in my memory because it was so scary. It's about 30 years ago now because I just passed my driving test. And where my mum lives and where I lived at the time, you have to, there's a really long straight road to the village. It's about four miles, completely straight. And it goes through some uh, like woodland. And there's a sign there saying, Beware of deer. And so you do always slow down there because you definitely don't want to hit a deer. And it was really late at night. It was like two in the morning. I was driving down there and it was full of mist. And then I saw all these eyes. Oh, I remember and you telling me, telling this on the podcast. They were like just looking at you and they, they were moving really they didn't slowly. Move. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that would be freaky. And then out of the, it was like that scene in uh, Close Encounters where they sort of, you get closer and the headlights light it up and you see through the mist that they are actually deer. But at three in the morning, when you've got all those eyes staring at you, and they didn't move, and I just had to swerve through them really slowly at like five miles yeah. an hour, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is terrifying." And then years later, when I started reading up on it, I was like, "Is that a screen memory?" And I've always like, I don't really believe that, but there is a bit of me yeah. when I, I, I think. Although yeah. to be honest, about a month ago, I had something quite similar. Um, my son would gone over to have a play date with with someone and we were driving and I went round the back roads and we came across a load of deer like that it was you know it was kind of six o'clock at night but it was dark and they yeah they were just in the middle of the road and you kind of think they're just gonna bolt but they didn't they just slowly we just stopped and waited for about a minute and they eventually cleared the road but we had to kind of almost move forward really slowly to kind of get them moving but they were quite happy just standing there really well i guess it's sheep in a car headlights that's kind of not well deer in a car headlights that's probably where it comes from well apparently what you're supposed to do because they're scared of people is to get out of the car but i'm not doing that yeah like, i'm not doing that either not in the dark in a misty night it's definitely not, not definitely yeah. not no no 
uh, and because there's a lot of like some of those um, YouTube videos that I look, I watch late at night and they're probably all bullshit but there's a number of times where like somebody's like the video is like they're walking along and and they're like what's that oh it's just a deer and then a deer runs past and then there's this like terrifying creature behind it and they're like run i'm like oh well yeah where there are deer there's food and where there's food there's something that wants to eat it yeah exactly (laughs) yeah well um, before we go, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Kurt Rowlett on Twitter. Um, yeah, he was saying some very nice things about us and has recommended us to all his followers. So thanks for doing that. And uh, anyone who wants to do that, we're we're very very grateful. He described he described us Ben as two wonderfully informed Englishmen. Well. That is very kind of him to say so, and I'm going to email all my high school teachers and remind them of this. <laughs> I've actually I did, linked I did, in with one of them. Yeah, I did feel like responding and saying, Are "You sure you're listening to the right podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but maybe he meant somebody else and got the uh, uh, got the, the tag wrong. We sometimes get confused with that Oxford University Science podcast. Yeah, exactly. And it could could well have been them. Could well be that. But thank but, you. Kurt for that shout out and uh, recommending us to uh, your friends and followers. We really appreciate anyone who says anything nice about us, obviously, and gets in contact <laughs> with us and spreads the words. Like, subscribe, spread the word, do all the stuff that will help us. It's great. Well, uh, he, of course, has earned himself uh, a free pint in the Cross Keys. He has. I think he's in America, but if he does come over to the Cross Keys... I was going to say, I feel like I'm fairly safe with my four pounds there because (laughs) he is in America. You're you're putting out a hell of a bar bill at this point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I might be doing that, um, that, uh, that promotion that took down Hoover. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) cross keys and run out of beer because we've just got so many people there well if if Um, i if i turn up one night and the place is like full of people that i don't recognize and they're mumbling about a podcast i'm just gonna go to another pub (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we'll change location yeah all right well we will be in this location uh next week with more stories from the quantum mechanics Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Like and subscribe. Thank you. See you next time. Are you the quantum mechanics?